You're listening to King Jesus Radio, the official podcast for New Living Way Church. Tonight's study is in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 12 to 14, one accord. Pray you're encouraged as we study the Word of God together. Many times we have choices and decisions to make, and what better way to do it but being one accord in prayer, seeking the Lord. God bless you. So we will be in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 12 to 14 tonight. And uh, we could turn our Bibles there. We're actually going to read from verse 1, and we're going to read verse 1 through 14 of Acts chapter 1. And then after that, we can all, we'll use these uh, handouts that I gave, and we'll be going from there. So it'll be Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. And Father, we just thank you for your word. We bless your word, Father. And we just thank you, Father, Lord Jesus, as you teach us by your spirit tonight, Father. We just trust you and we look to you, Father God, and we thank you for this time, O Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 1, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, this is our key verses here. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So that'll be our main scripture tonight, Acts chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. I just wanted to read that because over the last couple of weeks, we've been, you know, going through the whole chapter, um, chapter 1. So on the packets here, it actually has the verse here. And a lot of the scriptures that we'll be reading tonight are on here. Many of these may just be reference points, um, or we may read through them. We'll, we'll see as we go through the teaching tonight. So, um, But this is all from the um, books, book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. And tonight's word is one accord. So I put here, I, I heard this a long time ago. It says, what kind of car 
would the disciples have driven in? In accord, right? <laughs> in one accord. Amen? In one accord. So I always thought that was funny. So every time I read that, I always think about that. One accord. I'm like, okay, I guess Honda's a, a godly car. Amen? <laughs> Get a Honda Accord. There you go. You're, you're hooked up right there. So, you know, so we're looking at that. But we're not talking about one accord car. We're talking about one accord. Amen? So we're in this scripture today. And I wanted us to look at a couple of things here. So I want to lay this out as we go into the teaching today. And, and this is where we're going to be coming from tonight. You know, many times we get to a place where we know what we need to do. We believe we're hearing from God. And, you know, we're, we're ready. We feel we're ready or at least prepared or we're having some understanding. And usually this could come whether in decisions within our lives. It can come decisions in just as a, as a Christian. Come as a decision as a husband, as a wife, as, a, as you know, just a, in your household, in your job, and, you know, relationships, and whatever it may be. There's always some sort of decisions that we need to make. And there's many times that we, we think about it, we ponder it, we, we, you know, we start to decide, okay, whether I'm going to do this or not. And believe one of the things that we always have an issue with this when to actually do it how to do it and to make sure is this the right thing that I'm doing is this the right necessary change that I need to do and so when we're looking here at the disciples we got to remember that they're kind of in that place well they you know they went to the whole time they walked away from Jesus they fell into temptation you know but again then we see the restoration Jesus restored them you know they were able to come back to the Lord all these different things and as they did that they were challenged. Now they're in a place where they're with the risen Christ. And there's a couple of things that now they, they're waiting now. Okay? So I put here, now what? Well, I put here one thing that the disciples didn't do is they didn't go back fishing this time. You remember the last time when they didn't really know what to do, they went fishing. They went back to what they, know, what they, what they knew. Well, this time, they don't do that, okay? Jesus gives them some, some commands. He gives them some words. And so instead of that, they sure didn't go fishing. What they did is they heeded to Jesus' instructions, okay? So in verse 4, he, he, he tells them, Do not depart from Jerusalem. So that's one of his commands that he's giving them. He's telling them, do not depart from Jerusalem. And, you know, the reason, well, why? Why could they not depart from Jerusalem? Well, they needed to wait to be empowered from on high. Why did they need to be empowered from on high? To be his witnesses. To be his witnesses. Does this sound familiar in our lives? So he's telling them, don't depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise to be empowered from on high so you can be my witnesses. So the disciples have direction of where to go, what to do, and what they're waiting for. But how many of us know that the hardest part of this decision and what they're doing and being obedient to God is, is they're going to have to wait. This is the questions I'm throwing out there. How many of us have had to wait on the Lord? Yes. How many of us have had to trust in Him? How many of us are waiting for his return? And what do we do in the meantime? So let's look at a couple of verses here. If you look at the packet that you have here on the first one. So I asked the question, how many of us have had to wait, upon, wait on the Lord? 
And Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How many of us have had to trust the Lord? Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And how many of us are waiting for His return? Revelations 22, verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's the end of, you know, pretty much of Revelation chapter 22. I believe we have all been in a place where we can relate to this, that in our lives we have had to wait, we've had to trust. And though we know that the Lord has maybe spoken to us about some things, shown us some things, there's some decisions and, and changes that we need to make. But it's always coming down to waiting on the Lord. So tonight as we go into this scripture, as we're reading this scripture, this is what we're looking at. This is the point of reference that we're going from. This is how we're going to relate to the scripture tonight. Is if you're in a place today, I believe we as a church today, I know New Living Way Church is definitely in this place, where we know what's coming, we know that God has great things, we know all the stuff we've kind of gone through and had to go through as a church, but we also recognize that, you know what, but all of that, God, you're going to still use that for the good, and you're going to take us forward as a church and as a body of Christ individually. And there may be many decisions and choices that you need to make this year in different things that you are doing or just commitments to God or just whatever, whatever, wherever you're at in your relationship with the Lord today. But let this teaching tonight be an example of what we need to be doing. Amen? So this is where we're coming from today. And just a little side note on that. It reminds me of Revelation, Come Lord Jesus. He's Maranatha. I believe we've shared this before. You know, back in the days they would say, Shalom, peace, you know, peace be with you, or peace. And, uh, but it says that, I was, I was reading a footnote, it says that later on they would say Maranatha. And it was, Come Lord Jesus, come. That replaced the Shalom of that day among the Christians because it was a way to help the people to focus on this life is only temporary. Jesus is coming. Come Lord Jesus. So it was a nice greeting in that. I think we've shared that and talked about that before. So we're going to read this scripture again as we open this up. I just wanted to kind of look at that real quick as we lay this out and just keep these thoughts in mind as we go through the scripture today. And as we're looking at this big portion of scripture, okay? Got two verses. (laughs) No, three verses. And I'm going to read it one more time. So Acts chapter 1 verse 12 to 14, it's right there on the front of the page or you can go to the Bible. It's also in the Bible. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So we're going to look at this first part in in, um, verse 1, okay? So when you go down to Luke 24.50, at the end of the book of Luke, it says, and and Luke 24.50, it says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. Everybody remember that scripture? We went to the book of Luke, amen? So we should remember that. So this scripture is tying in with the scripture where we're at right now. 
And so in this version, it says that they went to the mount called Olivet, and it's actually referring to the Mount of Olives. You guys all, you guys all heard of the Mount of Olives? Yeah. We've heard it many times in the Bible. It's pretty much the route there. And it says it's a mount facing Jerusalem. Its side ridge is running along the east side of Jerusalem. So that's the Mount of Olives. Keep that, keep that in mind. I'm going to read that one more time. So the Mount of Olives, or called Olivet, or the Mount facing Jerusalem, it's a, it's ridge is running along the east side of Jerusalem. So remember that portion. It's running along the east side of Jerusalem. So if you forget that, always remember the Jeffersons. Moving up to the east side. All right. So that's a good way to remember that. You guys all remember that song, right? Come on. Who wants to sing it? <laughs> so if you ever forget, what side was it on? It was on the east side. Moving on up to the east side. Amen. So as we as we go and we look a little bit more into this, we're going to we're going to kind of want to be we're going to be like the Jeffersons. We want to we want to be on the east side. All right. And it says here it was separated from the city walls by a ravine and a brook, a brook Kidron. So this is just a little part of where the Mount of Olives and what it was. Um, the Jefferson's part is in, a, you know, in commentary. If, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I kind of added that part in there. Okay. <laughs> the David commentary. <laughs> so I wanted to lay that out real quick because, again, it says they're returning to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet or the Mount of Olives. And I want to look a little bit about what the Mount, about the Mount of Olives and some of the history. I want to look at a couple of reference points from the Mount of Olives. So our first one is in the Old Testament, and this is actually King David when he's running from Absalom. Okay, it's uh, that second one there, Second Samuel fifteen thirty. If somebody would like to read that. But David went up to up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot, and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. Okay, so there we see the Mount of Olives mentioned in the Old Testament, and this is King David. And it says this is where he was, where he was a weeping, and he was running. Okay, so the next one here is now talking about King Solomon. And this is 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 13. If somebody would like to read that verse there. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Asherah. And the abomination of the Sidonians and for Shemas and the abomination of Moab and for Malcolm and the abomination of the Ammonites. Amen. So this is King Solomon who's building this place. Okay, now keep in mind, it says it calls it the south of the Mount of Corruption. We're going to find out where that's at right now. So look at this one. And if you kind of, if you, if you lose track, remember the Jeffersons moving on up to the east side. Okay. First, first Kings chapter 11, verse seven, referring still to King Solomon. This is before that chapter. If somebody can read that one, please. It's right under it. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Chemosh, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mount east of Jerusalem. And one of those I might have doubled, so, you know, don't, don't, you know, I didn't do that intentionally if there's a typo in there, okay? I'm not trying to add or take away from the Bible, but, you know, one of those names might have been doubled in there. But, again, this is, this is King Solomon. Now, did you count, did you, did you, did you catch that on there? It says, on the mount where? 
east of Jerusalem. So this is actually referring to the same mountain that King David was at. Because it's on the east side of Jerusalem. Okay? So, but we're looking here. I want us to catch this though. It's calling it the Mount of Corruption and explains why it's calling it the Mount of Corruption. Why is it calling it the Mount of Corruption here? People who live there. Okay. But the people that live there. Okay. Look right, look at the next verse right there. Right after it says Mount of Corruption, it said this is why it was called that. Look at what it says. You want me to read it? Yeah. And the glory of the Lord. No, no, no. Second Second Kings twenty three thirteen, where it says, uh, to the south of the Mount of Corruption, this is why it's called the Mount of Corruption. Second, let's see. Second Kings 23, 13. Yeah. You want me to read the whole thing or just... Go ahead. Read the whole thing again. Yeah. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth and the abomination of the Sidonians and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Those are gods. So King Solomon took the East Mountain, the Mount of Olives, and he built high places for different gods. That's why it's called the Mount of Corruption. Solomon did that. That is King Solomon. Because remember, King Solomon, yes, was a man that followed God. But remember, he had like a 700 wives and 300 concubines. And these, these women are the ones that led him to his fall because he started to follow other gods. And so King Solomon took the Mount of Olives and it says that he defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem. There's that word again, moving to the east side. And they called this mount the Mount of Corruption because King Solomon had went and built these high places to these abominational gods. That's why he says and he, they were abominations. So he took these and he made these high places for the people to go. He himself, he went and worshiped these gods on this mount for his wives. Yeah, he started following his wives. And this was the fall of King Solomon. This is where he started. He just started to fall from here. So that's why it's called the Mount of Corruption here. Okay. Now let's go a little bit further. Look at Ezekiel. And this is this is not just because Solomon, but look at Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23, that next verse. If somebody could read that one. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that he is on the east side of the city. The east side of the city. Moving on up. <laughs> So it's referring to the Mount of Olives. So when, when Ezekiel had this vision and he saw the glory of the Lord leave the temple, it says that he saw the glory of the Lord and, it's, and he stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. So he was seeing him standing on the Mount of Olives, but he left the temple. Can now, I read it in, in the NLT? Yeah, go ahead. The, uh, 14, where did it go? Oh, the king, but that's a small k, also desecrated the pagan shrines east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, where King Solomon of Israel had built shrines for Asterisk, the detestable goddess of the Sidonians, and for Shemosh, the detestable god of the Moabites, and for Molech, the vile god of the Amorites. 
No. Amen. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Done. This is why. And, and then we see the glory of the Lord leave the temple. All of these different things and had to do a lot with this stuff that's going on. Let's look at. But then again, let's look at, let's look at Ezekiel 43, 1 through 5. If somebody could read that one. And by the way, the reason why the staples are on this side, because I wanted to put it on the east side of the paper. <laughs> I didn't plan on that. <laughs> I just happened to print too close on this side. And I was like, hey, you know what? I think this will work. I'll put it on the east side of the paper. So it looks kind of weird. You're good, okay? So if somebody could read Ezekiel, that, that verse right there, 43, 1 through 5. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east. And behold, the glory, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his, of, the, of his coming was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city. And just like the vision I had seen by the Chevar Canal. And I fell on my face as the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Wow. Amen. So how many times did they say east in there? Coming from the east. Amen. Coming from the east. Remember, that's why the staple's there. That's why we got the Jeffersons. Amen. All right. So we see here that the glory of the Lord is returning to the temple. And it says through the east gate from the east side coming in from the east. Okay. And Mount of Olives is where? On the east. So we're looking at these. And I just I wanted to lay these out because we see the importance of the Mount of Olives. And this is where the disciples are returning from when they're going to Jerusalem. They were at the Mount of Olives with Jesus. So we're going to look at um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter twenty four verse one three, and this is Jesus now teaching. So let's see where he's teaching from. Uh, if somebody wants to read Matthew twenty four verse one through three, right there on the on the sheet there. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point to him the buildings of the temple but he answered them you see all this you see all these do you not truly i say to you there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown thrown down as he sat on the mountain of olives the disciples came to him privately saying Tell us Remember that? when will these uh, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of, and of the end of the age? Ooh, okay. So let's look at something here. Okay, remember King Solomon just defiled this area. We see the glory of the Lord leave, and Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord return. Okay. Now, what I love about this part is now Jesus is teaching them because they're asking him a question. And he says he's teaching them from the Mount of Olives. And they're asking him, when will these be? When will the signs of your coming be and the end of the age? So Matthew chapter 24, verse 20 uh, and 25 to for pretty much the whole chapter of chapter 25 of Matthew is pretty much Jesus's response to the disciples questions. The disciples asked Jesus's question, and this is known as the Olivet Discourse. And I found this in a couple different places. And pretty much what it is, is it's a response to the disciples questions. It talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. The tribulation period, the second coming, the end of the tribulation, 
It goes into, he goes into parables, and those parables have to do to wait for your master's coming, to, to the wise and faithful servants. It talks about the five wise virgins. And it talks about the good servant who uses his resources wisely. And keep in mind, in this portion of scripture, it's actually referring to Israel directly. Not necessarily to Gentiles, because he's talking to a people that has been rebellious, a people that has corrupted, a people that has, you know, that everything had already been twisted. So we can learn from this word, but he's really talking directly to the people of Israel in these things because a lot of stuff he's referring to are the people of God, his people. Now we can come into this because now we're his people, we're grafted in, and this is where he's referring to. So when you read these two chapters, he's talking about everything. But what I love about this is, in one portion of scripture, you see one that puts up some false gods, and now you see Jesus speaking the truth from that same very mountain. Breaking down every altar, breaking down every stronghold, breaking down every false teaching. And he starts to speak to them the truth of this is how you will know of my coming and the end of age. He declares the truth from a mountain that was corrupted, that was called the Mount of Corruption. Now we're seeing, no, it's the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus is teaching his disciples truth. And he is giving them the truth because he is the truth truth he is the truth so that's what i love i was like wow that that is amazing so when you look at the next one here zechariah 14 4 if somebody can read that one it's the next one down there on that day his feet shall stand on the mount of olives that lies before jerusalem on the east and the mount of olives shall be split in two from the east to the west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward, northward, and the other shall have other half southward. Amen. The disciples thought while he was teaching them the things that now is the time that Scripture speaks of, or when they were with him before he ascended. Yes. Is this an earthquake? Huh? I don't know. It's it could it's 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 the coming of the Lord. But they knew they knew the scripture. Okay, this is a prophetic scripture about the Lord. So my question is, and this is just a question, again, there's no definite, you know, I don't know, but when you look at the disciples, think about how many times they were on the Mount of Olives with Jesus. A lot of times. So as I was just studying this and really just pondering on it, it really came to my mind. Could it have been at any time that these disciples, every time they were there with Jesus in the Mount of Olives, thinking, is this the time that this scripture now comes to pass? Is this now it? Lord, are, is that, are you now going to restore your kingdom? Because that's what the scripture says. The Mount of Olives. They knew the place where they were standing. And so could it have been every time that he was there teaching them, every time they were there, even before he ascended, right now in the scripture we're at, they could have already been thinking, okay, he's resurrected now, he's done all this, okay, now's the time. Because we see in there, they ask him. They ask him again, and remember, he just shoots down the question. We're not going there this time. Not Not yet. So they knew the place. And here's an example of that place in Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 44. I'll read this one. It says, And he came out and went 
as was his custom. So this was something that he always did. And when you read the Bible, you always see that Jesus was always going up to the mountain to pray. Okay, this is what we're leading to. All of that, just to get it, that was just a little background, a little foundation for us in this. But this is what we're getting to. He says, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Listen to that part right there. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Okay, in John, it says they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's also known as the Garden of the Oil Press. So think about this. Now, Jesus is going to the Mount of Olives, and he's going there to do what? To pray. Why is he praying? He knew what was coming. He was going to die for our sins. Jesus knew the purpose for which he came. Yeah, yeah. And everything that Jesus did, he knew the purpose for what he came, and he knew the direction and where he was going. And now he's actually at that place, a place of decision. Because by looking at this portion of Scripture, we see that Jesus still had a choice. Because even within himself, he says, But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Oh, so it might not have been his will to completely go through, but he was doing the Father's will. He's doing the Father's will. Coming to the Lord, making sure this is it. Jesus knew, don't get me wrong, but he left this as an example for me and you to learn. And our decisions and where we're going in our walk with the Lord. How much more do we need to be attentive to the Father? If Jesus himself knows what he's, where he's going, he has the vision, he, he knows that he's going to the cross, but yet he has to go and pray, how much more me and you? I, I kind of see it like he, you see the spiritual part and the flesh, the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. human part of Jesus. Yes. Because he did come in a form of a man. Yes. Yes, yes he did. Yes, Valerie. It says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes, that's right. That's right. And the flesh is weak. Very weak. Yes, Brother AJ. That just reminds me of like missionaries that go into the jungles, like where headhunters are, and they're going to spread the word of God. And they might be hesitant, but they're still doing the work. Uh, the, the word of the Father. The will of the Father, yes. Risk. Yes. Do it anyway. But they do it anyway, exactly. And that can only come by the strength of the Holy Spirit. That can only come because of the will of God. Amen. Amen. And Jesus' uh, situation, there was no, it wasn't a risk. He knew. He had to. He knew. Yeah. And so he wasn't, it's not a risk that he was taking. It was something he had to do. Yes. Amen. And so they're out here, 
And now they're at this place that one time was called the Mount of Corruption. Now we're seeing the will of God being fulfilled through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He learned obedience to the suffering that he went through. And we're seeing here the Lord laying down his life for me and you. Praying to the Father and asking for his will to be done. Not, 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 not ours, but his will. This is an awesome, an awesome picture of it. So let's look at another time that he was on there. And this one doesn't necessarily say that it was the Mount of Olives, but I believe it was because it says in this other scripture, as was his custom. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 13. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called the disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So remember in the beginning as we talked about, have you ever had a wait on the Lord? Have you ever had to just trust him? Are you waiting for his return? And no matter what we go through in life, there will always be decisions, there will always be choices, there will always be times like, okay, Lord, I know what I got to do. Lord, I I know that you're calling me. Lord, I know that you want me to make this change. Lord, I know this and that. And you know you got to do it, but yet you're not doing it because you're waiting on the Lord. Because you're trusting in the Lord and you're waiting for His timing. You're waiting for Him to make it right. You're waiting for Him to give you the strength and and to, to trust Him to be able to step out in faith. And while we're waiting for Him, while we're trusting Him, we should also be seeking Him. See, what I love about this is that Jesus is our perfect example. He's about to choose the 12, the 12 apostles, and it says it is an all-night in prayer seeking the Father. It says He was continually praying all night, and when He came, He chose the 12 disciples. He came with a clear mind. He came with an understanding of who the Father had chosen, of who the Father had predestined. We see one portion, he's seeking the Lord because he's about to do the will of the Father. We see another one here, and we see these men called by God. And we see Jesus praying for them and then going and choosing them out from all the disciples that were following him. How many of us know that prayer is very important, especially in decisions within our life? Especially when we're in a place where we don't know to go here or go there. Especially when we want to do this, but yet in our heart we know it's just there's just something not right. There's a reason for all of this. So let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. So we're in verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives. That's pretty much where we're at. We talked about the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem. It's a Sabbath day journey away. And when it says Sabbath day, it's just really referring to about uh, 2,000 cubics or like about a half a mile. And that was according to what they were allowed to. It was still within the Sabbath requirements. It was, I think, less than a mile that they could walk or something in that time. So that's what it's referring to when it's in a Sabbath day journey. And it says, when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And some believe this may have still been the, the same upper room as where they had the Lord's Supper. 
when they sat with the Lord, which was found in Luke 22, verse 12, which is there on the sheet. And, so, and also to believe that maybe this was also the room where, John, where Jesus appeared to his disciples. Where he says, peace be with you. And he comes and he appears to Thomas. And that's found in John chapter 20, verse 19 and 26. There's nothing really that I was able to really get definite answer on it. But this is the thought of that it could have been that same room. So, but they're either way, they're in, they're, they're in a room, in an upper room, where they were staying. And these are the disciples, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Now imagine this, I love how it breaks it down here. You know, you, you get all these names, you know, you got Zealot, and Zealot basically is just um, someone who's Zealot, Zealous for the, for, the, for the Jewish law. And then there was also some radical Zealots that wanted to take over Rome and change things. But I love how they describe Judas, though. They make sure it's not Judas Iscariot, Judas the son of James. They make sure that they define that one, amen? So, <laughs> you know, you don't want to get those guys confused there. Okay. He wasn't one of the apostles. He was just a disciple. Who Judas? No, Judas was an apostle, but by here he's already dead. He had already committed suicide by here. Yeah, he's already gone. Now there's only eleven disciples here in this portion of time. Yeah, so there was two Judases in there, but there was Judas the son of James, and there was Judas Iscariot, and he usually calls him the betrayer or the one of the devil. You know, so it it always you know always refers to him in that in that way. So these are the eleven disciples that we just read when Jesus prayed who he would choose. And he says, in, in one portion of scripture, he says, Have not I chose you the twelve, yet one of you is a devil. Well, we all know that that was Judas Iscariot, who ended up hanging himself and, and falling into that place. But all of the disciples are coming together, and it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Remind you of anybody? Jesus. Jesus. So think about it. That word one accord is Greek for homothumadon. I'm going to take a chance on that. But all it's saying is like-mindedness. Just the same mind. Having the same mind. And when you look at it, everybody here, they all knew what they had seen or what they saw and they heard. Or what they had seen and heard. So we had talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how you cannot change what these disciples saw. Not just the 12 apostles, but the disciples that had been following him since the beginning. And we'll learn a little bit more about that next week. But there were other disciples that had also been following him. Not just the twelve. There was others that had been following him the whole time. These were just the ones that were chosen as the apostles. That's where Matthias comes from. Exactly, yeah. That's probably partly why they call them the twelve. Yeah. Differentiate. Different, yeah. The rest of the disciples. So all of them are coming together with the same mind. And it says here that we're devoted is to be continually or steadfastly attentive. So not only were they praying in the same mind, but they were there, they were expecting. And what were they expecting? Everything Everything Jesus spoke to them. They're coming together. Jesus gives them these words, tells them everything they're going to do, that they're going to you know, endow from power on high. They're going to be witness, all these things. But they're just like, okay. They just, all they're doing is he said, return, don't leave Jerusalem. So what do they do? They're obedient in the little things. They go back to Jerusalem. They go back to the upper room and they start to pray. And it says they were devoted to prayer in one accord. They're coming together all praying for the same thing with the same mind. Whatever the will of the Lord is, everything that Jesus spoke to them. 
And they're praying according to what God wants them to do. They're doing this because they're being obedient to what the Lord has commanded them to do. And he taught them to pray. Because remember, yeah. they, 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 ask, they ask him, teach us how to pray. That's right. Teach, them how, teach us how to pray. And that's what they're doing. Now I put here a couple of notes here that we will be coming across in the couple of, in the couple of weeks as we go, I mean a couple of months or a year or two, <laughs> however long it takes to get to the book of Acts. But we're going to be running into this, this, uh, this word, one accord, quite a bit in here. Oh, yeah. But there's two differences in okay? And remember, it's not the Honda Accord, it's one accord. So we just said like-mindedness, okay? Not the Honda Accord. So how many things we learned today? Jefferson's, moving on up. And what's the other one? Honda Accord. <laughs> okay? One accord. So here's a couple of examples. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, 46, chapter 4, verse 29, chapter 5, verse 12, and chapter 15, verse 25, you will hear the word one accord used by God's people. So when it's talking about one accord, it's talking about God's people being in one accord. And these will all be scriptures that we will be coming into as we go through all of the book of Acts, okay? But then there's another one accord. And this is Satan's people. And you will find that in Acts chapter 7, verse 57, chapter 12, verse 20, chapter 18, verse 12, and chapter 19, verse 29. Because how many of you know Satan's people come together too? And many times you'll see them come in one accord to persecute, to kill, to stone, or whatever it may be, but they will come together to come against the body of Christ. Okay, so we will see this one word, this one thing, but remember, it'll be used in two different ways. And why is this so important? Because I put here, don't get confused. It all has to do with knowing his truth. I wrote here, when we don't know what to do many times, we can fall into what we are not supposed to. Okay, so think about it this way. Everything that we looked at, the amount of corruption... All of that confusion, so many gods, so many different things. We see Jesus come and establish and speak only truth. And now only Jesus speaks the truth and he's declaring the truth from this place. And it says that the glory of the Lord is going to return from the east. So the glory of the Lord will stand on the Mount of Olives. But we also know that this is not this, this was not the time yet when they were here with Jesus because there's going to come a day. Because the Lord is coming from the east. That's why your staples are on the east side, okay? So you keep an eye out, okay? But all this comes down to, especially these ones right here about one accord, is knowing what is of the Lord and what is not of the Lord. How many of us know that we live in a world in, of much confusion? Yes. How many of us know that there's many people teaching today the Bible with much confusion? There are many people living lives as a Christian with much confusion. Many of us are in that place today, or can fall into that place. But see, this is where we need to come together like the disciples, and we need to be devoted to prayer, so we're not confused. Because the only one that can give me new direction is the Holy Spirit, is Jesus Christ, is His Word. They devoted themselves to prayer because there were things that they were going to need to do. Here's a couple of examples of when the disciples and the, 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 all of them would come together for prayer. It says believers were in one accord for these reasons. They came together in one accord for supplication 
expectation, communication, consecration, separation, and cooperation. Ooh, huh? <laughs> so these are the reasons why, because remember, the church is now being established. The church is going to have a lot of things that are going to go on. The church is going to grow and all these different things. So this is why it's so important that they started here. They didn't know that what was about to happen. They didn't know all that the, the gospel will be spread over the next 30 years and there would be those that would die and all these different things. I mean, they heard they, they he told them, but they didn't know how it was all going to turn out. It all started with their obedience in those little things. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait. Trust. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll know. So what did they do? They went and they prayed. How important it is for me and you today as a body of Christ, as a church, that we should be coming together for these same things, for supplication, for expectation, supplication, crying out to the Lord, crying out for the lost, crying out for those that are in hard places today, crying out and coming to God and and just giving all to God. Coming together in expectation. Lord, I know we believe your word says and expecting an answer, expecting direction. Not only that in communication, Lord, help us to be witnesses, help us to communicate together, help us in different things, help us to establish things. I think that's the hardest communication. communication. There's one area in there. He says, you know what? It's not good for us to wait on tables. Let's raise up with some others and have them serve. But they always did this through prayer consecration when they pray for Paul and Barnabas to go out they pray to consecrate to send them out they came together in prayer for separation sometimes they had to be separated out how many of us know Paul and Barnabas didn't stay together the whole time cooperation Ooh. (laughs) how many of us know in order to have cooperation we got to get in some prayer (laughs) we got to seek the Lord so we can all be of what one accord. It's not so we can, we're not always going to agree on everything. No. But we believe in one God. We have one Son. One purpose. One purpose. One Holy Spirit. And as we come together in one accord, the Lord is at what brings all these things together. The cooperation, the communication, the consecration, the expectation, the supplication. Maybe we come in with different expectations, but together as we seek the Lord, the Lord starts to redirect our expectation to His will be done, not ours. And not only that, it helps us not even, not just as a church and as a body, but it helps me and you individually as a church as we come together and pray and seek the Lord. Because there is too much confusion. There is too much confusion in the church, in this world. But when we can come together and seek the Lord and devote ourselves to prayer, the Lord will always speak the truth as He spoke from the Mount of Olives to His disciples. As He's speaking to me and you. Because Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Nothing will ever change that. What does consecration mean? I'm not real familiar 
is to be set apart, like holy, separated. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. dedicated. Mm-hmm. Separation. All the utensils, everything that was all consecrated unto the Lord. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like what we do here with the instruments or anything here in the church. We always consecrate it unto the Lord. Give it unto Lucas. Yeah, everything. Like when they first come in, or every day. When they first come in, we consecrate them unto the Lord. Lord, this is for Your purpose, for Your glory, to bring You glory in everything that we do, no matter what it is that we have, no matter what, no matter what it is we have. It's always consecrated, just as we are consecrated unto the Lord. Amen. For His purpose. Amen. So, and it says, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So just a couple of things here, just a couple of notes on here. It says, woman who followed him from Galilee. Um, some say it may have been the apostles' wives. So I'm believing that, you know, the apostles' wives got to follow the Lord too. Amen. Um, I don't think there was a lot of divorces after that. No, I believe the wives, you know, the wives were following him. Amen. Especially one of the, one of the mothers, Peter's mother-in-law was healed, right? You got to know she was following the Lord. Amen. So referring to the women, it's, it's talking about the wives of the apostles and, you know, the disciples that are there. Um, this is one of the final mentions of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's not mentioned anymore after this. Uh, a couple of women here, Joanna, the wife of Herodias, a steward, and Susanna, who provided out of their means. You can find that in Luke chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, Mary and Martha, which you'll find in John chapter 11. That was uh, Lazarus' sisters. Uh, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, which you could find in Mark chapter 15, verse 40. And Mary Magdalene, you'll find her in all throughout a lot of the Bible, but Mark chapter 16, verse 9 is the one where he appears to her. Amen. And it says that from whom he cast out seven demons. So when it's referring to the women, these are some of the women that were most likely that were there. Um, It also talks about and his brothers. They were his half-brothers, you know, because, you know, Jesus was from the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I always love teaching the kids because we got to teach them, hey, Jesus had a stepdad. Jesus had stepbrothers, sisters, you know, so he knew what it was like. So it's kind of cool to be able to use that, and, you know, especially if you come from, you know, you, yeah, blended family. Yeah, so we were able to use that and, you know, really cool on that. But what I, what I love about that, you know, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, and Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says, uh, it does talk about Jesus' half-brothers, you know, that he did have brothers. And so they were there with him. But what's interesting about that is in John chapter 7, verse 3 through 5, it says they didn't believe in him. Oh, the half-brothers half didn't believe in him. The resurrection, huh? Well, yeah, see, that's why I put that there. Nevertheless, here they are in the room. So you know something happened. It was probably it had to be that resurrection. They're like, oh, she was telling the truth here, you know. I don't. I mean, nowhere in the Bible does it say it, but I gotta imagine, man. They must have felt like Joseph's brothers when he they found out he was still alive in Egypt. <laughs> you know? But this is this is way beyond that, though. This guy was just an Egyptian king. This is the resurrected Christ. You're like, oh wow, this is uh, this was our half brother. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you now. This is all here. This is a thought. This is a thought. But you know, just you know, just keeping on that. But what it really comes down to is, if you want to know what to do, then we need to pray. Yeah. We need to pray. This is what this is all about. I use those examples just as examples about the Mount of Olives and all the different things you know about that, all that confusion. But how Jesus just came and turned that all around and spoke truth from that place, and He's speaking truth to me and you today. So what I'm going to ask us to do today is, 
I want us to take a little bit of time, and we're going to seek the Lord together. I don't know where you're at today. We'll take, you know, next five, ten minutes. I don't know where you're at today. But no matter where you're at, the Lord will always guide me and you. So right now we're going to just take the next couple of minutes, and I'm just going to ask you, and we'll come, you come together in agreement. But just take this time with the Lord right now, and we're just going to come together in prayer, seeking Him, expectation and whatever He wants to do. And just for direction and wisdom and guidance and just strength to wait, strength to trust, strength to do, and wisdom on how to do it. But also not to do it on our own, but to trust in His Holy Spirit. The Lord will lead us as a church, as a body of Christ. Lord, what is it that you have for your church? What is it that you want the body of Christ to be doing? So these are a couple of things that we're going to pray right now. And I'll just ask you to lift up your, your personal petition unto the Lord. And then we will come together in prayer as we close up tonight.